0: Welcome back to like a Bigfoot podcast. I'm your host Chris Ward. Uh, this week we are welcoming a very experienced uh, stage racer, um, Mike Williams to the podcast. And uh, full disclosure, I did meet Mike <laughs> while we we're filming uh, the documentary, but this episode is not about that experience. Like I said, over the last couple of weeks, we're trying to space out those episodes. Um, instead, uh, this episode really is kind of tips and advice for people that are going to take on a stage race. For the past few years, Mike's kind of whatever, like niche in ultra running has been to go do these... 250-kilometer stage races all around the world. Uh, These ones are all, I think, I I hope I don't mess this part up, but they're self-supported. You're carrying your food. You're carrying your sleeping materials on your back for the whole week. So you have to have your nutrition planned out um, because it has to sustain you for a week out in whatever wilderness. I mean, you're going to hear it. Mike's ran all over the place. He's done all the sorts of deserts. Uh, he's taken on Antarctica. Uh, he's taking on Georgia, um, all sorts of places. So I'm super excited to dive in. I'm super excited to pick his brain for the show. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I'm excited. There is a point where I tried to give advice at one point. And I always try not to give advice on this podcast, uh, specifically advice about like ultra running and like actual like nutritional advice and stuff like that, Um, because I know what works for me and I know what works for me might not work for you. Uh, But at a certain point, I'm pretty sure I give advice that's like, hey, when I go do long runs, I don't even test out nutrition, which I'm. It might be horrible, horrible advice. So I apologize. Don't listen to me. Uh, listen to the podcast. Listen to Mike. He's done all sorts of crazy stuff. Maybe don't listen to me. Or at least if you do, take uh, my quote-unquote advice with a grain of salt. Because next week, I'm actually headed out. I'm going to do my second 100K uh, ever. And... um. In the middle of it, I might be regretting that. I might be like, man, I wish I would have trained with my race nutrition a little bit more. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, we'll report back how that goes. In fact, it'll be a week from when this podcast comes out, I will be out there slowly, slowly putting the miles in and maybe crying a little bit. We'll see. Um, but, yeah, we'll have to talk about that at some point in the future uh but let's jump into it this is an awesome episode i've wanted to interview mike for quite some time uh and you know selfishly i want to do a self-supported stage race someday and i'm sure when i finally pull the trigger and sign up for one uh mike will be one of the first people i call up uh because like i said he's just had a lot of experiences in these things and yeah and he's made the mistakes for us and uh you know is willing to go in and, and chat with it chat with us about it so uh let's jump into it this is like a Bigfoot podcast number 330 with mike williams today i am so excited uh to have mike williams on the podcast this one took forever to schedule because we're just both busy dads slash athletes slash people who work and stuff like that so uh yeah dude I'm so excited to like finally get you on man
1: thanks yeah I'm uh, I'm excited to be here with you I've been uh, looking forward to this for a while
0: yeah well and so Mike you've done all of these racing the planet races uh stage races all around the world and I want to dive into all of those. Uh, but recently you did the one in Antarctica and to me, I'm like, it's such a bucket list location. Um, and to also go there and like run through it and do loops. I know you guys just loop do loops and stuff, but like to be on there, like on Antarctica running around and like somewhat exploring, like sounds amazing to me.
1: I, I think just, the ability. So racing the planet has not been able to go back to Antarctica since 2018. So, I mean, I showed you a four four year gap because of COVID, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Just to be one of the first people back after years of I think there were 40, 42 or 45 of us invited from around the world. So, you know, it has to be an invite. You have to compete to be able to get into into the Antarctic race is, I think, in itself, just an amazing feat for for anybody and there have been people waiting a, a decade or more to be able to come to this race so that shows you how long some people have been waiting that's amazing where as me I've I've been invited for a number of years but of course as you know taking you know two to three weeks to do a competition like this is a lot and yeah. um you know Mary is the the director and owner of racing the planet puts a lot of time and energy and and Sam Fenshaw into doing this race. And and I just want to start is, you know, I have a background in mountaineering, so I've summited Mount McKinley a few times. I've summited almost everything to Pacific Northwest, so going to Antarctica, everybody sees the pictures of a very flat, desolate, cold, barren place. And that in as you get toward the center it is but the coastal parts and most of antarctica is very mountainous very glacier crevasse active land um and i think a lot of people had in their head that you noted that the race was loops yeah. okay so I think people thought this was more of a race like you and I have done at stage racing and ultra races like, oh, we're going to go out and we're running 50 miles out and 50 miles back, you know, like a Leadville. No, man. I mean, this is very small mapped out areas for for safety. Yeah, you know, yeah. you go over an edge or go in a crevasse and that's it so you know some some tensions went a little high seeing these you know one or two kilometer loops to start and um you know to me coming from that area i'm like yeah that's that's how it's gonna be for us yeah Yeah. and it even with that and nobody likes running loops um you know it's just pristine i mean as as you said a bucket list um if you were to go anywhere in the world and you want to see you know the wild penguins we saw orca pods the great blue whales you're just never you're never going to get that anywhere except
0: there yeah man dude and you guys are on like a boat right you and that's where you're sleeping and stuff like that so we sail out of Ushaya which is the
1: very southern point of South America the last basically the last town I think there are some ships that go out of Buenos Aires um but these are expedition ships so i, I honestly felt me and my roommate and i like i was back in college i mean it's literally a room with two bunks a shower and everybody has like a little tiny closet
0: and you have an animal house poster on the on the side yeah i should have brought one because it would have been epic yeah <laughs> I, I would have Pluto Blatarsky just sitting there yeah that would have been awesome but yeah yeah it was uh it it was amazing
1: waiting years and to you know get in there and do the competition um for me was really rough coming from miami because it's flat and hot and hot and you guys know i don't get you know i don't get altitude training i don't get trail running i don't get mountain you know i don't i can't experience like cold while i'm training so when I when I show up to any competition in the world, I think that's one reason people kind of are like holy holy cow, Mike. Um, Is because I still set ablaze whether I'm you know running up a two thousand meter mountain or I have to say the cold does eat me up a little bit <laughs> now. After all these years of being here. Um, but but it's that's why i kind of alter my training you know to kind of that crazy american my nickname is because you know i do drag tires and run with chains and increase my perceived effort in other ways because i just it's just there's no way to do it down here um but the cold the cold there definitely was my was my nemesis because
0: there's no way of doing that like i mean I, I, at least running with a tire chains can get you a little bit of that resistance that like hill running would have. Um, but there's no way in Miami, right? Like, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. There there's
1: nothing. I mean, there there's the causeway bridge, which I think has a 75 foot elevation gain and loss over three quarters of a mile. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, that's the thing is I, I, you know, the one bummer of living here, as as great as the weather is i guess they say in south florida it's just for training aspect especially what what we do um you just don't have it. there's no such thing you're not going to find a hill anywhere in south miami or, or lower there's no um there's no trails really give or take you know everything is just flat undulating maybe gravel if you're lucky yeah so when i come out to competitions my my the race becomes my training all at the same time and I just have to kind of work through it as quick as I can
0: is that something that like draws you to these races is you don't have the trails available and now you get to go travel and see all these beautiful places from a trail yeah for sure
1: I would I I would definitely not deny that traveling and seeing these locations is not Part of me wanting to go, you know, especially with, you know, the, the desert rats that you've done that race. I mean, Utah, that's it's beautiful out yeah. there. Um, and, you know, racing the planet and, um, you know, all the other all other companies, Ultra X. And there's so many out there now that do these world weird location competitions um, is to, you know, experience a new culture, run in places that the public you would never see otherwise. Um, and just enjoy, you know, a whole different aspect of the mountains and the trails and crawling through rivers and mud, you know, that's what makes the stage racing and ultra running all kind of part of, you know, a very small, unique family.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, and I think the stage racing, I mean, we've talked many times about how it bonds people together. Um, but when I watch things or hear stories from racing the planet, it's, it's people from all across the globe, which is really cool. Can you kind of like talk about that a little bit? Like, what is it like meeting people from all sorts of different cultures and then going out and struggling together? Yeah. So that's, excuse everybody, me
1: drinking my coffee. Too.
0: <laughs> this is like, okay. So just to set the stage, this is an early morning podcast for both of us. Um, I'm in, I wanted to let, you know, I'm on the road, I'm in Durango. So this flowery wallpaper behind me is not how we decided to design our house. Mike, <laughs> I was going to say that's, uh, and that old bedboard back there too. I don't know. Maybe, maybe
1: I should have a little talk with your wife. Dude.
0: <laughs> we're in, I mean, I'm not
1: a decorator, but, uh,
0: <laughs> we're in, uh, um, like I'm in like an old older hotel in Durango right now. It's super cool hotel. But then I sent my friends a picture yesterday and they're like, cool wallpaper, bro. And I'm like, thanks, man. Thanks. Appreciate it. (laughs) So, yeah, so I
1: think, so that's a great aspect. So that's one thing with with any, any, any of the races, but racing the planet, since that's one of my huge, huge places I always go to is the people. So, there's usually at least fifteen to twenty countries in every race, um, even the smaller ones. So, uh, everywhere from you know Canada to the United States to South America, Africa, Japan, Asia, and then you have Americans in other countries and people from other countries in you know America. But that that bond becomes very unique no matter where you're from whether there's language gaps or whatnot i'll have i mean i'll have to say of the 10 12 races i've done with racing the planet it's just been it's always such a great experience um then tent mates you know they always try to put tent mates together or people get asked to be tent mates so and everyone's like oh this is typical mike so you know, usually 10 mates are six to eight people. They've cut it down to like four because of COVID rules, but uh, I get asked a lot to be like 10 mates. So of course, you know, oh, it's Mike, your 10 mate. And of course, Sam or Mary, like they'll ask like, hey, are you okay with so-and-so's asked for your 10 mate? So-and-so's asked for your 10 mate. And I'm always like, yeah, man, like there's, I'll have to say in all my races, there's maybe one or two people that I would be like, I'd rather not, but it's super cool because usually, Um, You know, I got like friends, friends from India and China and Africa and Europe and, you know, really, you know, really cool people, some young, some older, some professionals, some, uh, you know, I I'd like to say I was young, I'm young at heart, but, you know, from all different age groups, all different styles, you know, but we all come together in one unique
0: pile and it just works, you know, really well. And everybody has a good time. That's awesome. I mean, and I'm sure you see the truth of, of humanity, which is like, we all have way more in common than we have in like, as differences, you know? And, and this is one thing I think with, especially the stage
1: racing or the ultra running is no matter. It will just simplify it. No matter how much you have or how little you have, when you step onto the course, What's in your backpack and what's on your back is what you have. yeah so it doesn't matter whether you have a 10 million dollar house or you're living in a little apartment when you're on the course. yeah it doesn't honestly, I found it doesn't matter whether you're wearing old Navy running clothes like I do sometimes yeah. or you've got people wearing ex bionic with a $500 shirt on I've I've seen little differences and I mean you like you and Tim you know, we all run easy. Like, I'm just, I go out, you have fun, right? <laughs> um, but I've seen things and and you'd be surprised. And I watch. Um, and there's, there's a little, little surprise. I've been working on it for like a year. It, it should be coming out this year um, that I don't really see much of a difference. Mm-hmm. Stuff. And if you look, you know, I do a lot of gear talks and yeah. people have called me like my wife calls me the caveman because I'm not a technology guru but <laughs> if if I do a talk or I go online I'm going to do it that's going to help you it may yeah. not be 4K 90 frames per second laid out perfectly but I'm going to tell you real life in the field yeah. how it's going to be like a drill sergeant yeah. you know and that's when I go to the races people are drawn to me because that's you know that's what you need you know cuz you're not going to be able to sit at home and debug things. If you're not ready when you get there, it, it ends up being a real mess for people. Yeah.
0: yeah. What was your first one?
1: Um, it was Gobi in 2015, was my first big stage race with racing the planet.
0: What what made you choose that? Or like what what drew you to this like aspect of you know ultra running? So I
1: had done you know, some five K's, some 10 K's I'd ran a couple of marathons, half marathons over like a course of a year. And I ran the Fort Lauderdale half marathon with a buddy. Yeah. Um, I don't know, maybe 2013 or 14, we did it. And, okay. uh, he's that this guy was probably my age now, cause I'm going to turn 49 in a month. So really good runner, really super nice guy. And, you know, we took off on the half, which, you know, 13 miles now, I think it's not that much, but, um, if but you at the in,
0: time when it's your first time is probably like, yeah, and,
1: and if you look, I think I came in like 96th place out of like 6,000 people. <laughs> so yeah. like I pummeled that race. And when I came, when I came into the finish line, like there was no one there. <laughs> my first thought was doing the races like oh crap like i cut like i cut a corner somehow right you didn't follow the path and i, I went up to the booth and the guy's like no you crossed all the paths you, you did it or all the
0: the yeah the thing on the ground or whatever
1: those are ground called. markers yeah and i was like <laughs> holy crap and then my buddy ended up coming like i don't know maybe like 45 minutes an hour behind me <laughs> he was so pissed he's like screw you man i'm, I'm not running with you again <laughs> and uh I signed up for the keys 50 mile run. Um, and my wife was really great. So I was like, Oh, 50 miles. And, um, my wife was like seven months pregnant with our first kid. So, uh, you know, she crewed me and, you know, I did really good and I had fun and I was like, Oh man, I was like, I kind of like this stuff. And, uh, I jumped onto Google. Yeah. (laughs) We all did, you know? And, uh, course racing the planet was one of the first ones that popped up i read reviews kind of watched some of their stuff i want to say maybe that documentary was out for them already the desert
0: runners yeah
1: i I think maybe that had just been done yeah that
0: sounds about right i really like that movie i think it's fantastic they Um, did really good on that yeah and so i saw that and i was like
1: yeah man and i was like oh china i'm like that sounds awesome
0: So I signed up and yeah, here I am like eight years later. Are you a glutton for punishment? Like, what is it about this that, you know, like the pain and like you run a 50 mile miler and, you know, some people probably are like, not for me. I'm glad I did it, but I'm I'm good. But then some of us are like, that was awesome. And somehow, somehow I loved it, even though it was incredibly painful and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think. You know, I think we're very unique ultra runners and stage racers. Once once you get addicted to it, um, I think it just becomes something that you like. Now, as far as, you know, enjoying the runner's high and all of that. I mean, I've hit that once or twice, that whole kind of. Yeah. But I mean, I, I don't know how much you get it, but it's super hard to get. It's it hard to, to get it. Way. Yeah. You know once you get it it's there for a while and awesome but for me really running is um you know highs and lows yeah. which i think is pretty typical for for us and you just have to get through the lows and know that you know the good times are going to come yeah but yeah it's, it's it's an addictive hobby for me you know i love the traveling i I do i enjoy the people i like doing the talks and helping people and you know kind of like you doing the stuff i just you know i do it because i want to i want to see people succeed i want to see someone show up to a race with good information because like i said once you do check-in and you get on the bus that that's it like you already
0: yeah you're already ready to go or not
1: at that point yeah yeah, and whether your pack weighs six kilos or whether your pack weighs twenty kilos, um you, you laugh, dude.
0: There's people who show Dude, I would. That would be me. Cause I did I remember uh we did our first adventure race, uh, me and some friends around Iowa, the cornfields of Iowa I don't remember what it was called Boon Crushers in Boone, Iowa. And they have all the mandatory gear. So we're like, yeah, okay. And we're just throwing the mandatory gear in our bag. And then we're like, why is our bag ginormous? And then we get there and we see the actual teams like competing to win. And they have these tiny little bags. And I'm just like going through the list in my mind. I'm like, how do they fit all that in there? This is insane. Yeah. So Yeah. That would be me. 100%.
1: Yeah. 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 So and that's where people bring, you know, six changes of clothes and all these extra calories. And it's, it's amazing how little you need to survive and still be able, you know, to compete or whether you're want a top place or you're tracking it, um, you know, how little the body really needs with those, you know, 2000 calories per day, usually. You know over a five to seven day stage race you need like fourteen thousand calories it's pretty typical for yeah. for all races but people bring you know you see me i bring a, no more than a ziploc bag and i have more than two thousand. you know there's people that have like they're just bringing so much stuff i'm like number one you're not going to eat it like you're not yeah you're just not going to have that sensation um <laughs> eventually you lose your appetite yeah, there's only so much you can take in. And uh, I have I've found that supplements. so and here's the thing where people get thrown off. And I'll just touch this real quick with um, supplement. So you know, I'm a huge drip drop guy. So drip drop is my go to it doesn't hurt my stomach. It's, it's great. It tastes good. It's palatable. Um, it comes in little packs that you can use You know, a lot of people don't like it all, but it has sugar. You know, when I hear that, I'm like, dude, you're running 30 miles a day. You're gonna worry about a little tiny, a little tiny electrolyte with some sugar in it. Like, come on, (laughs) right? Come on. Um, but people, and I'll just say them, and I and I love them, but it actually hurts my stomach. So, like, Tailwind. You know, a lot of people love Tailwind. Yeah. I found that the packs are really big. And it, for me, it really tears up my stomach. So yeah. I, I, and they've actually sent me like Tailwind sent me like a huge thing to use two or three years ago when this all started. Um, And, and I just, man, I tried. I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried. But the whole thing is, is if you calculate what Tailwind says and they have people that'll help you and I have buddies that have come, you're like you're carrying like a huge mm. of tailwind to get through like a you know, 250k race yeah. and i'm like you're, like you're never gonna eat that yeah. yeah like you just can't take that much in yeah um, whereas you know some of them like goo um that sponsors me and drip drop you know i, I just like those little packs they're palatable they work well but there's uh, you know everybody has their own way of doing things. You know, yeah. I've seen saying um it's just it's what i tell people it's what works for you
0: yeah did you make a bunch of mistakes on your first few like with with nutrition stuff or were you did you find a method that worked pretty quickly
1: so so it took some years some learning i mean my first when i show like, the goby i want to say that my pack weighed like 14 kilos in that first race that I went to, because, you know, the first time you're showing up, you know, and racing the planet for, for them, they were really good with, they have some training stuff online and a platform on like how to bring and what to bring, but yeah. just looking and reading something,
0: you know, it doesn't help that much, honestly, because there's, there's so much, and you have to try it out. Like it's somewhat trial and error, probably. Right. And that's the thing is, yeah, what what you train with and when you
1: compete are 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 two separate entities.
0: Yeah, look, look at your face. Dude, I will. So I don't know. This is probably like terrible advice from me. It's not even advice. This is just what I've been doing. Like, I haven't trained nutrition for a few years now. Like when I go train, I kind of do it differently than when I am actually out there running. And it's probably the dumbest thing in the world. I probably shouldn't do that. But we went and ran that uh those loops a couple of week- or last weekend in Leadville. And I was just like, I had no nutritional plan or anything like that. So I don't know, man. I, I probably need to rethink it because I have a hundred K coming up in a couple months. I need to actually test out some foods and, and whatnot. But but yeah and that's the thing and and you're right i i don't either and
1: that's a kicker that we both well, because do
0: when you're in miami you're not running around with a huge pack eating just you know because you, you can't like you can't it's hard to re- like it has to be hard to accurately like you know represent or represent what you're doing in a stage race during training
1: Yeah. And that's the thing is people do. And I, and I did. So when I first started 2015, 2016, I I did try to carry a pack with like towels to fill up the pack with like a barbell weight. Cause I wanted to run. I did, man. I had all kinds of stuff. Um, And I want to say, I think it probably hindered my training more than helped honestly, I want to say also with experience over years of doing different stage races of having to carry everything or like the desert rat where we just get to carry one small pack yeah not to say because the races are still hard don't don't yeah. tell because it's gonna make stuff. <laughs> <it>, so. um <laughs> that now i i train like so yeah and what is it? February, March. So in two months I have the keys 100. So I'm doing the hundred mile run with them. So now I am running with like my, my vest on just so I can drink while I'm running. Mm -hmm. But like you, as far as nutrition, I bring everything with me that I know I'm going to want, but I wing it because I think I've done it so much. I know Maybe I that's know. what I was
0: trying to say is at this point, I know what my body can handle. So when I start, when I was starting too, it was, I'd go out on like a 15 mile trail run or 20 mile trail run and eat like I would during a race. Like I would eat that like sugary stuff and, and all that, which was great. Cause I got to test out what was good on my stomach or not. But now I just, I, maybe I should go back to it and just try it out a few times, but I just, I know what works for me and what doesn't work. And um, I just feel like, I don't know if I'm going out for only a few hours for a long run. I, I shouldn't do the exact same thing as if I'm out there as for you know 10 hours or 12 hours. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: I, I agree with that. And even now, if I go out you know, like usually my runs minimum are eight eight to 10 miles now because I'm trying to build up. And honestly, I mean, I I carry like little, little tiny, you know, three to 500 mils of water. I don't carry food, you know, which isn't really super smart because I mean, it's really hot down here. So Mm -hmm. I do sweat like when i come in from a run even now it's getting like into the 85s pushing up into the (laughs) 90s yeah and uh i mean you're you're soaked you know and in the summer here i mean you're one or two miles and you're drenched dude your shoes are soaked your socks are soaked you're soaked i mean yeah i mean i had
0: to bring a towel for my car when we were in virginia it was (laughs) and i'd have to change shirts like four times a day but but yeah i mean i think for people who are just starting off in things like definitely figure out the nutritional piece like during training for sure yeah. um, but That's if you if you have the experience and you know how this works and how your body responds like i just i just don't know if it's a necessary thing i don't know who am i giving it like don't listen to my advice <laughs> no dude you're an amazing runner I know but I never give advice on the podcast because I'm like I'm sure I sound stupid and I'm sure people are gonna be like that was terrible advice like what are you doing dude but let me ask (laughs) you this because I because I am curious um what do you bring for like your nightly meal on these things like what works for you on that so you know
1: everything pretty much has to be high calorie and um yeah you know, very lightweight so freeze dried food um so now i i'm very huge into expedition foods um which of course is part of racing the planet and mary Gadams. um so not the fact that expedition foods you know sponsors me with with supplies but i've always used them way before um, you know, like Mary approached me and said, hey, you know, I you, can you use our stuff for the Grand Slam Plus and competitions. Uh, now there's, you know, countless food companies out there. Some people say, oh, their food doesn't taste good or it's too much sodium. You know, my whole thing is just palatability. Mm-hmm. Um, which is taste and being able to eat because you, you have to consume calories yeah so you, you mentioned so expedition Foods basically makes breakfasts, they make lunches they make dinners which range from 400 up to a thousand calorie bagged meals now um, And then they have a couple desserts uh, like chocolate puddings and stuff but mine are usually breakfast and lunch are always their 450 freeze-dried which is from they have raspberry blueberry strawberry you know it's all freeze-dried powdered with oats um or like a, a quinoa powder different things like that yeah they have vegan stuff now um for lunch i always do the same another 450 whether it's pasta or vegetarian or chicken Um, now for dinner, I always do the 800 calorie pack for my dinner, because that's your last big calorie load before you're going to kick off in the morning.
0: Right. I mean,
1: morning there's a breakfast, but my breakfast always is small. Yeah. Um, I mean, 400 calories, you know, is like nothing. Yeah, that's nothing. Um. So, yeah so it's that and you know macadamia nuts or almonds you know very dense high calorie snacks salty yeah uh, i always carry like a coffee and a tea with me because i like tea at night and um, everybody knows hot cocoa so yeah. hot chocolate with marshmallows so the nest the nestle kids packs um there's you know, chocolate is, you know, a super upper, it's, it's empty calories, but it's sugar calories and it's, it's tastes good. So there's nothing like ending your night, you know, for me, you're sitting around the fire, you know, you're drinking some hot cocoa. Yeah. You know, it's just for me, that just is kind of like a nice kind of upper, no matter how sore you are, you just, it just makes me feel good.
0: Yeah, man. Well, you're never going to not want hot chocolate. That's Dude. the thing. Like it is kind of, what's the strategy is like, Hey, eat, like have stuff that you want to eat. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And people torture themselves with, um, you know, they'll bring and, and everybody's individual with, you know, quinoa. So they'll bring, so you can bring like super dense, nuts and grains and a lot of them will just bring like a thing of oil so they're eating the same thing you know like a scoop of quinoa oil and that's all they eat and after the first two days of that you know what those guys are doing right just looking at hot chocolate being like oh they're begging begging through camp to see who has extra food so I get it. You don't want to. You know, if I'm carrying five kilos worth of food and you know, you're carrying two with the same calorie density, which which I could do. And I tell people, but I like to eat, man, it's freeze dried, but I want to eat. You're you're, going to wander through looking for stuff or or you're going to get diarrhea. Um,
0: (laughs) Well, so I so obviously the food thing is such a big like is a huge, huge factor in this um what kind of other like as you're doing the races i guess i just have some quick kind of obstacles i want to hear your thoughts on or stories of and things like that but uh but one would be like you know how do you handle the navigational part um because you know you're running not only on trails in a place you haven't ran before but you're in like a brand new country all the way across the world like that seems a little bit intimidating to me like it could be an intimidating thing like how how do you handle that aspect
1: so the good thing with racing the planet is the trail is um pre-marked with flags okay so the flags are always within visual sight. Um, now that doesn't deem that I've, I've been in courses where it was in Atacama 2019, um, a farmer got mad and like pulled like a couple of miles worth of flax out on us. Yeah. And, and you know, me and a couple of the other front runners, we ended up like down in a ravine lost, but
0: we ended up going
1: the right way and ended up finding, <laughs> finding the checkpoint.
0: Um, yeah because that's a factor nobody can control you can't control what other people are going to do if they're pulling flags you know
1: if it gets really really stormy the flags can come down but I'll have to say in all the races I've done I mean the Atacama race but that you know that was a farmer mad because you know he didn't want the flags through his field even though we don't, I guess, already given permission, whatever. I'm not going to get into that. But they're they're always really well marked um, or there's there's uh, like a spray paint mark if they can, you know, on uh, like in Georgia, when we raced there, uh, we ran along some ravines and through mountains along some aqueducts. So they would spray paint like an arrow, you know, just a small one so we could see it or like an orange dot. But it's always I don't have one but it's always one of those damn pink flags man
0: that you're chasing you uh, just have nightmares of pink flags when you go to sleep I do, dude i do
1: <laughs> but no racing the planet's really good so there's always a pre-mark the racers and then there's sweepers so they have two people at behind everyone walking yeah it keeps the pace that you have to stay ahead of behind you so there are people who have gotten off course. I'm not really sure how they got off course with the way, I mean, they put thousands of flags out. Yeah. Yeah. Never, never get worried, especially with RTP that you're going to, that you're going to get lost. You know, if you can't see from one flag to the next one, then you need to start like looking for a turn. Yeah. Um, But I, I will have to say, and this was my fault. So in Georgia, on the first day, we uh meet me and the there was like the four of us in the front, so there was two really fast guys, you know, like you fast guys, and uh, I those was within those categories. Guy. We and we came out of the woods, and they had hung like six flags, like in a tree, and it was on a road, so of course, you're on a road and you're you know, you're focused, it was downhill into a town, so yeah. me and the guy we're like. Oh, so what did we do? Like, I didn't look up and see him. We ran all the way into town, all the way to the bridge. And then there was camp right <laughs> <laughs> the other side. So we're sitting there and I'm like, dude, have you seen a flag? And he's like, no, man. So we turned around and everybody's on the ridge, like <laughs> going around the other way. And we're like, oh, man. Yeah. And we run all the way back up and cut all the way over. Man, I was so pissed. We lost lost like 45 minutes, man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Well, so yeah, I guess uh, just another obstacle is just like body, physical breakdown stuff. Like what's some of the, the common things that you see? Obviously like blisters and things like that. I gotta look at too, dude. <laughs>
1: Yeah. So I think the biggest, biggest thing for people is probably blisters. So shoe socks and forming blisters is one of the, just the hugest things that pulls people, you know, getting pancakes huge on their feet. And I'll have to say I'm either very lucky that I've never had that happen to me. Now, of course, I've lost some toenails. If you're an ultra runner, you lose toenails. I have I mean, two
0: broken toenails right now. I'm like I mean, they're it's, coming it's, off. <laughs> yeah,
1: and I've I've gotten little blisters on my foot, but I've never I, I've never gotten yes. some of those monster ones that people get. I'm sure you've seen them too, dude. Yeah, um, and, and I don't know. And I really wish I could help people. If it's their socks, their shoes, running form, I think it has a lot to do with everything. I don't know how you are with blisters, but I just I don't have a problem with it. Um, whether my feet are soaking wet or dry or sweaty, um, but you know you get you get to a point where you just can't walk anymore, and um, it's kind of a bummer because otherwise physically you're fine. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you have, you know, you're wore down to bone and you just can't tape it up anymore.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What about, um? I guess, like you're in new countries and things like that. Like, is there do they give you kind of a safety guide with like wild animals or things? like? Like I'm thinking like snakes and things like that when you're out in the desert. Like, do they kind of like give you like, hey, watch out for these five things. Here's how you handle them and that kind of thing.
1: Yeah. So that is one thing. And I've I've actually talked to Mary about this because, you know, Mary herself is is a huge back in the day, an adventure racer. Like if yeah. you look at if you look at Mary Gaddam's past, you know, now everyone's like, oh, um, you know, she's, you know, just sets these up. And I'm like, yeah, why don't you look back at what what she's done, man? Because she's done like huge, long, hardcore <clears throat> racing stuff. Yeah. Um, so her whole thing with racing the planet and setting up stage races is safer locations. Um, so in Africa, you know, there are spiders, there are snakes out there, there's the rhinos, um, they have, there's little hyenas, you know, not like the huge hyenas that you see, like on that geo, but they have, I forget what they're called, but you know, taking away my baby, like they're little guys. Um, but they're very safe on, you know, if there is an animal, they will warn us, but I've never been in a race where they're like, okay, if you come up on this, you have to stop or Mm -hmm. this is what you're going to do. I'll have to say when we ran in Georgia, there's just a ton of dogs there, ton of street dogs. So there was a big concern about getting attacked by like a dog in the street when you're running because of course if a dog sees you running it's going to chase you yeah far from course. So i was actually bit like a month ago here in my own neighborhood for really? someone's dog. God, yeah yeah yay for me um and you and you know I'm, I'm i'm a critical care veterinarian so you know it's not like i don't know about dogs but they're fast but yeah no um i think most of the races anyone's i've ever seen or been in um there's warnings but not anything I've ever done where like out West with some of the races, more even for you guys with like bears, or if there's Bobcats or rattlesnakes. Yeah, rattlesnakes. Yeah, where you need to be very cautious that if you are in the front, I think because I think as more people come through it, it scatters out the animals because they there's so much noise. Yeah. Uh, to, To you know, and it got bless happens that where people have been attacked you know especially um in the states and the canada races i think more Mm. saying that off the top of my head don't quote me on that um where you have to be you know more aware kind of of, the animals but yeah rt rtp is super super safe with that and if they do they have someone there um like kind of watching and monitoring where they are most most of the animals in these places have trackers on them now yeah so where they're at
0: they should uh they should have started in antarctica by like being all serious and been like listen these penguins they will get you watch (laughs) out they will dive bomb you they'll just dive right into your legs they'll take you out no uh yeah they didn't know penguin attacks
1: no penguin attacks no 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 but (laughs) But uh, they're funny little things because they, uh, you know, they just waddle across. So <laughs> it was like a 15 or 20 feet. Um, you have to stay away from them. So if, if you're running on the track and like a penguin is sitting there, you either have to walk around them off the track and kick and kick a new one or you have to like stop and wait.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. Because so you don't like, want to disturb them either, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, And it's their natural habitat and, and we're. Lucky to be allowed there. Mm-hmm. In yeah. Places, and I get it—the seals, the penguins. Like you don't, you don't want to tread and run through colonies and and bother them. Um, but it's like typical runners. Now, I I went to Antarctica to finish. Like I didn't really go to compete at a high level, and I knew that the cold was going to be hard for me. Yeah so when i went there you know the penguins would come on the course and honestly dude i would just stop and wait now people that really are like uh, you know i gotta have two places extra today um you know like typical they would yell or be like let's go and you know, <laughs> like relax man
0: relax relax <laughs> as a penguin dude they're the most chill animal on earth you know yeah. like yeah, if you can't if you can't get the the chill vibes from a penguin, like what is happening? But yeah. no, nah, dude. That's amazing, man. Well, uh I guess to kind of like to start wrapping up um which I apologize, man. We need to do another one in the future. I'm very interested in this format um for these types of races and obviously you've done a whole bunch, so I would, I love just picking your brain about it. Um but I do want to hear like is there one that stood out to you personally, for whatever reason, maybe it was based on, you know, the scenery, maybe it was based on what was happening in your life, but was there one of these racing the planet races that stuck out as your like absolute favorite event?
1: Yeah, probably. I mean, I've, I've loved them all. I've repeated a couple of them, the roving races, which they only do once a year are, probably some of the coolest because they won't just go back again mm. COVID changed because they they did have some repeats but that was all political and COVID related but i will so have what to- would
0: be like a roving race so a roving race
1: is they do once a year so that would be a race in a location outside their normal okay race list so Antarctica's every other year. They do Chile every year. Africa's every year, and then Mongolia or Gobi is every year. So those ones, if you look at their list, the roving race is the one that they pick outside. So like this year is Jordan. So they're gonna go back to Jordan, which they haven't been to in a long time. I've been asked by countless people to come do that race, either as part of the team or tent mate. Um, I haven't decided yet mongolia i'm going to race for sure in june with them so the roving race uh like in the last couple of years was georgia they did finland i've been to patagonia you know they travel yeah all over but i'll have to say in the last year doing all these races um probably racing lapland in in finland north finland across the arctic circle or just above the arctic circle was probably um the coolest i mean very pine foresty reindeer you know lapland is like the you know sant it's all like santa land <laughs> um but it was very it was very cool terrain i really enjoyed it um at the group the running group was really like really good the crew was really awesome um and the director that mary had for that rita uh lives actually there so i think we got a little bonus time with getting to experience um like camping on the lakes and getting to see like in the saunas and stuff that they have there like some of the like the local stuff that we got to do which to be in a race and like to be able to like jump in the lake and kind of wash off they had like a bath spot for us they had like these saunas we could sit in i mean
0: that's not, awesome awesome <laughs> um,
1: but the terrain the course was laid out really well it was like just a really super fun positive um enjoyable race yeah yeah, yeah. so probably lapland in the last year or so with them was probably my favorite
0: do will they ever repeat it or is it just no, oh man. Oh. someday i'll have to just go out to lapland and just go in a sauna without running you know 250 yeah. kilometers
1: <laughs> yeah and i would go visit them it's it's it was it's a beautiful place i mean yeah. you know it wasn't it didn't really get cold there it was nice because i got to sleep on top of my sleeping bag it was just was super it was super nice. You know, you weren't like super hot. You were never freezing. I mean, the whole race was super enjoyable. And then like we go to Atacama in Chile and it's like sub zero temperatures at night. My water are frozen in the morning. Um and my my really good friend Mubasa, who lives in Africa where we race, I mean him and I were in the tent together and I mean he he was either freezing or I was freezing, man. I mean, it was like, holy cow, it's cold. And here we are. I'm like, I just raced like two months earlier above the Arctic Circle, and it was warmer than it is in the Atacama Desert.
0: That's (laughs) wild, man. That's not normal, man. That's wild. Well, hey, man, where can people kind of like follow along with your adventures? But also, like you said, you do nutrition breakdowns and, and all of that stuff leading into these races, where can people kind of like follow that? So yes, So I'm trying to get better. So I'm going to do a lot
1: for the keys and uh, Mongolia. So if you look at my name, like Michael Williams in Miami, my Facebook pops right up. Okay. And and the Instagram is just ultra Mike Williams. And you know, people will see a lot of posts. I actually just started posting yesterday again.
0: I saw that man. I was like, sweet. So I, I
1: took, you know, I I have to say, I'm not a huge social media guy, I'm, I'm really not. I do it for the, you know, for the racing and to help people and to do talks. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's so much, like social media is so much now.
0: Well, it's all, it's just a whole, if you're doing it, if you're actively doing it, which I've been back on a bit more because of, you know, our film coming out and stuff like that um after taking like a three month break of not doing it at all and it just literally adds this whole extra layer to your life a layer of knowledge and information that you that you are keeping in your brain that at times you're like i don't know if i need to keep this all in my brain all the time you know what i mean so i think it's good to uh you know if your intentions are there you're like hey i'm doing this to try to help other people like that's a great intention that's a great use of of it and your time and effort um versus when i personally catch myself just scrolling through i'm like oh why am i doing this like i don't this doesn't make me feel good like it's not purposeful it's just you know doing it to do it so so yeah Yeah. man but yeah i definitely uh link all of that stuff in the show notes and um i always i do enjoy watching what you put out there because like i said i don't know anything about uh you know, how to pack and how to plan for one of these things. And I'm very interested in doing one of these things at some point. So, so yeah, man, thanks for what you're doing.
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. Yeah. You're going to see a lot more from me. I'm going to, I'm going to tweet things a little bit this year for people. I'm going to try a, l- a little bit different than I've always done and see, and I'm going to do, um, which actually Tim is, Tim has asked me some, uh, going over gear a little bit more and everything yeah. that's, with stage racing you know carrying your weight is the big thing Yeah, you'll always hear me say like people cutting straps off their packs and stuff you already hear
0: about backpackers taking the toothbrush handle off I'm like I mean I don't know if you need to do that guys it's not saving you that much (laughs) yeah like you're gonna take a gram off yeah like I just (laughs)
1: think I just think it's silly I would never do it and I mean as long as I'm trained and I'm having a good time, I mean, honestly, if, if you look, I'm, I mean, I'm usually like, you know, top 10 always yeah. coming in, which no big deal, whatever. Yeah. Um, but I don't, you don't have to do all that. Even the fast, fast guys that come in, like Ryan and Mori Mori and all them. I mean, their packs are smaller and they, they really do con they condense a little bit better. Um, but they even, you know, they don't cut their handles off their tooth. Yes, yeah. <laughs> come on, dude, cut their straps off. Um, yeah, awesome, man. I mean, uh, but there are things with like packs and stuff, but you know gear, like gear. So the whole thing for me is gear is expensive. So you know I have the bigger, older headlight, headlamps, and you know the the bigger, older Marmot sleeping bag. But honestly, dude, if it costs me four hundred bucks, I'm going to use it till it's flat. Yeah, <laughs> I'm going to get the new half one for another five hundred because, like you said, I mean I got families and house expenses, and I yeah. work. Like it works for me.
0: Yeah, for I'm sure. Not no no that's awesome man well mike thanks for coming on dude we'll have to do one in the future um for sure all right dude yeah
1: yeah we'll talk maybe we'll do one before uh we we, i throw for the
0: keys uh the keys 100 yeah i would love to all right that wraps up this week's episode with mike williams thank you mike for coming on the show uh definitely if you're interested in multi-day stage racing check out all of mike's stuff Uh, he does a really good job kind of breaking down uh, different aspects of the race and his training uh, leading up to to these things Uh, so it was really cool for me to be able to talk with him it was really cool to just have somebody who is knowledgeable who will let me kind of pick their brain Uh, because like i said it is a goal of mine to do a self-supported multi-day stage race uh, the Race in the Planet series sounds absolutely spectacular in all of these amazing parts of the world, um, and it captures my imagination every single time. Right now, for me, the hard part is, you know, being able to take that time to travel because, you know, if you're doing a week-long stage race, but then you also have to add in time on the front, time on the back, that kind of adds up and, and can become... Pretty hard to do um so yeah so thanks mike for coming on the show definitely uh want to check out some of those races at some point um i mentioned in the intro that next week i'm heading out and i'm doing my second 100k ever uh i'm definitely nervous about it i don't know how good training's gone like i can't get a grasp on it and part of it is having to train throughout the cold dark winter uh, where it snowed a bunch this winter especially in Colorado like it just seemed like it seemed more like a midwestern winter that I was used to growing up but man we even got snow this week and it's april uh and it's been the last two days has been you know 15 degrees in the morning when I've gone out and run uh and I'm half expecting next week the heat to finally kick in it'll be like the first hot week out here and my body just isn't heat adapted. so it's where I'm gonna have to hopefully be able to draw back on some of the strategies I've used in the past in really hot weather um, just to kind of keep my body cool enough to be able to perform, you know and, and keep going when it gets when it gets challenging. Um, it's kind of like eerily similar to the 100k I ran in Iowa where it was in September but really all my training runs had been in the morning so in relative cold and all of a sudden in iowa in the middle of the day it gets to 96 degrees and the walls are closing in for me and i'm like close to like heat exhaustion and all of that and but i was able to power through that which was a cool confidence booster um and yeah i'm just excited to go out and have a big day a big adventure um It seems like it's been a really long time uh, doing that kind of to that. Since I've done something like that, uh, I spent a lot of time and energy, obviously, doing the film project. And now I'm excited to be able to spend some of that energy in more physical ways because I'm a like physical person. I like going out and I like moving my body and I like I kind of like beating myself up a little bit. Uh, I don't, you know, whether that's a healthy thing or not like i don't know i think it can be but maybe that's just my me being biased (laughs) towards myself so um yeah i'm excited to do that we will get back at you next week we'll release one more episode about our film um we're gonna have phil pinty on the podcast uh phil is also running this 100k with me which should be super cool um and yeah and then that'll be kind of one of the the last times we talk about it probably not who am i kidding it's definitely not gonna be the last time we talk about it so um but it'll be our last like official episode focused on on the movie but uh once again thank you we're almost to eighty five thousand views which is insane to me uh and amazing in like the best possible way so um really appreciate it really appreciate if you all go out and write comments on on it um I think that somehow helps us somehow. Someone was explaining this. Some YouTube guy was explaining this to me, um, but, but that helps out. So if you want to write us feedback, just go to the movie. If you want to like send me a nice note, go to the comment section, write something nice. I'm trying to avoid the comment section, but I will probably be, who, who am I kidding? I'll probably end up reading it. So uh, <laughs> write something on there. It helps us out somehow. All right. uh, Yeah, we'll get back at you all next week, and I hope you all have a wonderful week.